Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. So we're in the midst of walking through how to become intimate with Jesus, how we grow in intimacy with Jesus, how we become more like Jesus, how we have a depth of relationship with Jesus, that the things that happen around us no longer are as important as we seem to feel they are so often. And, and, and so we, we've talked kind of from Matthew chapter six a few weeks ago, Travis and Kyle talked about the pathway of intimacy through meditation on God's word. Last week, we started talking about the pathway of giving as intimacy with Jesus. Because in Matthew 6, Jesus, Jesus makes a statement. He says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, all things, pathways that he gives us to lead us toward intimacy, a greater and deeper relationship with him, so last week, as, as we talked a little bit about what Jesus said, um, here's where we kind of landed. That giving draws us close to God if done with the right heart. That giving is a pathway of intimacy to become more connected to Jesus. And secondly, it helps others see God's glory through us. It, help points, it helps point to God's glory. And so as, as today we get into a few things that might be a little prickly, I wanna make sure that we are all on the same page and we understand this, that I'm not this morning sharing with you what you should do or what you shouldn't do, but I'm just wanting to communicate what God's word says and what really that means for us as a pathway towards intimacy. And, and so I want us to understand this and be on the pa- same page and not miss this. Because giving is first and foremost a spiritual practice of intimacy, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us in how we see money and how we choose to give. I want that to be clear this morning, that because it is a spiritual practice of intimacy with God, then what we have to recognize is that the Holy Spirit is the primary guide in how and when and who we give to. Now, we can pursue others' input in helping us make decisions about giving or generosity or money, and that might even be wise in some cases, But the product of giving is intimacy with Jesus, therefore the Holy Spirit is our primary guide. That's who dictates our generosity and giving. So let's make sure that that we don't rely on other people and what they say we should do, although sometimes that might be good advice. Make sure that we are seeking in prayer and meditation what the Holy Spirit directs us toward. So I want that to be the foundation as we, as we move forward. 
We tend to live in a distorted world and a distorted view because that's what sin does. Sin distorts things. And we live in a world that's full of sin and, and we live in the midst of lots of distortions. It's interesting because the Bible says pretty clearly what sin does. And, and one, of, one of the things that we sometimes might think about is that God's primary goal for us is for us to stop sinning. That is not God's primary goal for us. Does God want us to sin? No, absolutely not. But here's the thing. Sin's effect on us is that sin separates us from God. That is what sin does. Isn't it interesting that the primary effect of sin is separation from God and the thing God wants most with us is intimacy with him? Sin is set against our intimacy with God. God's greatest desire for us is to have a relationship with him, to be intimate with him. That is why God sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross, raised from the dead, and then be ascended into heaven for a relationship, not to fix sin in our life. It was to fix the broken relationship. And so I think it's really interesting that the effect of sin is separation from God, the opposite of intimacy. And so one of the things we have to recognize in sin's distortion is that is that the, very, that, that the world's man-made systems, because they come from a place that is infested and overrun with sin, and, and even those of us who uh, have come to Christ for forgiveness and been re- redeemed and regenerated, we still have a problem with sin and separation. And so the world's man-made systems will always lead us away from intimacy with Jesus and into ourselves, all of them. Bar none. All of the world systems pull us away from intimacy from, with Jesus and draw us back into ourselves. In fact, even the good things that God has given us, the good systems that God has given us, are so often distorted and corrupted by redeemed humans. Just look at history. I mean, look at how God gave the law to the Israelites for their flourishing. And eventually, those religious leaders in Israel turned the law into a burden that was so heavy, it separated people, pushed people further from God. To the point where Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, that the Pharisees had so many things connected with the law that intimacy with God was all but impossible. And that's, that's the nature of, of systems in a fallen world. And, and, so, and so this morning, I, I want to talk a little bit about how, we, how God calls us to give and the nature of that and what giving does in us and in our intimacy with God. But the one, one of the things that I think we have to see first and recognize is that the system that we're in that informs how we think about money and giving. Because we all live under an economic system. Everybody on the whole globe, there's some kind of economic system that, that, that tells us what to think about money, and that includes giving and generosity. 
And so the very nature of a human economic system in a fallen world will impede my intimacy with Christ. And the reason this is really important to not be deceived is because our approach to money and giving is a pathway that Jesus gives us toward intimacy with God. And if we are off on that, that means we will just have, have, have a problem with our intimacy and uh, the depth of our relationship with Christ. Because you see, culture creeps in to what we think is our expressly biblical worldview. We accept the distortion or the lie and we begin to drift away from Jesus in that area. And oftentimes we don't even know it because we can't see it. And we have to be careful because then that starts to tell us how to value things, how to make decisions, and who's the ultimate decision maker. And and so we have to be able to recognize this. It's interesting in the Bible, there's, there's a ton of warnings about money, isn't there? You can read in Proverbs, you can read in the New Testament, you can read in the Old Testament. There's so many warnings about money. So much so that we can, we can have a false view of money that money is just simply a bad thing. But you see, there's also a picture in God's word of money as a pathway toward intimacy. Not buying intimacy with Jesus. But in the way we give draws us closer to Christ because we do it with a particular heart perspective. And so this is super important. And so here's, here's the reality. We live in a world where I, being simplifying things and, and just admittedly right now, I am very much simplifying things. We live in a world that is driven economically by two primary economic systems, socialism and capitalism. If you're gonna kind of boil things down, That's the two primary economic approaches in our world with lots of variations. And here's the thing about socialism. Now, I'm I'm gonna give you a really simplistic definition of socialism. So if any of you are like econ majors or, or teachers or anything, I'm not taking any tests. I don't want to take a test not interested in any of that. Um, I'm, just, I'm just admitting right now that I'm giving you a really simplistic definition, okay? But I think it catches the, 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 the heart of this. In socialism, the government owns and manages the economic resources such as money and other forms of capital. That's basically what socialism is. Therefore, the government is the owner and decision maker of what to do with money basic understanding of socialism. Here's here's our spiritual implication to this, though. In socialism as a system, the government is God's small g, ultimate authority of money. Does that make sense? If you are gonna track this to what, what what, what socialism is, is that the government is the decision maker and really the God of money and how it works and where it goes. Now, there might be a few of you who are, who are a little bit, maybe slightly offended by that because you have some feelings about socialism. And there might be a number of you who are kind of like, yeah, right on. 
simplistic view or definition of capitalism. Individuals or private corporations own and operate the resources and means of production. Therefore, the individual is the owner and decision maker of what to do with money, right? Because that's, that's under a capitalist environment. The individual works and makes and gets the money and then they decide what to do with it. And so the spiritual implication of capitalism is this. In a capitalist system, the individual is God or ultimate authority of money. Does that make sense? Does that follow? And it's really easy to miss those things. And it's important for us to catch those things because whether you grew up here in the midst of a capitalist society or you grew up somewhere else in the midst of a socialist society, there will be things that that tend to influence the way we see God's economy. And we have to recognize those things affect us. Here's some observations about socialism and capitalism, about economic systems in general. The ultimate owner in the two major global economic systems is not God, right? If If you ratchet up in either system, you won't get to God as the owner of all things because that's, that's not what it is. It is either the government or it's the individual. Neither system is expressly biblical nor kingdom-oriented. Neither makes much of God and both place the hope of human flourishing in the hands of humanity or humanity's institutions. In the socialist world, we can make this utopia through man's ability to redistribute. In a capitalist society, we can reach a great society through hard work and personal ownership. And they both come back to man. They both come back to humanity and their institutions. It doesn't ratchet up to God's kingdom. And God is creator and owner of all things. And so here's one of the things. Either capitalism or socialism, if pursued in surrender and submission to the rule of Christ, can lead to human flourishing and kingdom growth. If the individual living in a capitalist society surrenders to the rule of Christ in their life, that can be a great system. If a government as a group, surrenders to the rule of Christ in a socialist environment, that would be a great place to live. The problem is it's a really tall order for an individual or a government to truly surrender their agenda and their desires to the rule of Christ. That's that's the hard part. That's that's what's hard about that. And, 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 And so we know that there is cultural creep into our faith and our discipleship when we claim that a human institution is the way of Jesus. It's interesting. 
Recently, I've heard more Christians argue that socialism is the economic and, and the approach of the early church. It's actually not true if you really read the book of Acts. I've heard for quite a while from Christians that Jesus was a capitalist and that the Bible teaches capitalism because of personal work and, 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 and ownership. That's actually not true either. <laughs> Because again, both of those things do not see God as the owner. And Jesus, in all of his teaching, in all of his activity, saw God as owner of all things. And, and, and so in God's economy, he alone owns all capital and resources and calls us in submission to the Holy Spirit to carry out his good in the world. In other words, in God's economy, God is the God of money. <laughs> that's the bottom line now, now here's the thing because I, I don't want to to misspeak here we all live in this world and as a result will participate in a worldly economic system and that's okay we may like what we live under we may not like what we live under but that's part of living life here in this world we participate in that we just have to remember that we are not of this world and cannot allow ourselves to accept a lie that will create distance between us and our creator. We can't let man's systems create our values and practices of handling money. We can't allow that. We can't let that seep into the way we think and we value and we behave. Here's, here's, the, here's maybe one of the most important observations about economics in the world. God's kingdom will fully and finally prevail in spite of the system we live under. The gospel will be seen and heard no matter the regime or rule. So bottom line, while I prefer a particular economic system, it doesn't actually affect the mission God has given us, nor should it create distance between us. Shouldn't be a problem. In fact, some of the most oppressive economic systems in the world are places where the gospel of Jesus Christ is flourishing the most. And that's not a commentary on an economic system, that's a commentary on people's surrender to Jesus Christ. And, and, and so we have to recognize that God will work through this. And whatever economics I live under, they're kind of a side note. I'm still called to live up to and value like God's economy. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter six. Jesus, after actually talking about when you, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, and then he, he moves into this, this place and he says, in verse 19 of chapter six, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great this darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or mammon. So it's interesting, uh, this passage that Jesus taught he spoke in, in the first century. It doesn't really take a Greek scholar to figure out what Jesus is saying. <laughs> He's saying something that's very obvious and we all experience and we know. That, that our heart, the human heart, is entwined with our treasure. We've all experienced it. We all know that. We all see that. He, he says very clearly, he says, he says, this is kind of a passage where Jesus explains God's economy. He says, lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy. Don't necessarily be consumed with laying up treasures on earth because that's where your heart will be. That's where you will relate. And, 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 and when he says you can either, you, no one can serve both God and mammon or, or that, that probably the most literal interpretation of the word used there that, that, that I read as money is wealth or God of wealth. And that's really what economics are. They're the God of wealth. They're how we deal with wealth. They're how we deal with money. They're how we think about giving and generosity. And so basically what Jesus is saying in this passage is very simple. It is place God's economy above whatever context I live in. Place God's economy above whatever context I live in. Doesn't matter where you live or what the economic reality is. Jesus is saying, place God's economy above it. Last week, I, I, I mentioned uh, the, the story of Jesus in the temple and uh, him kind of giving a, 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 a teaching to his disciples um, when, when some people were giving. And uh, it's interesting. It's in Luke 21, and, and I'll start looking at the first verse. Um, Jesus and disciples are in the temple, and it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. It's interesting the way our maybe mind or culture is a commentator of this verse. Jesus does not say that the rich giving their offerings and putting them in the offering box that they were of ill repute or character. But for some reason, sometimes, maybe, as we read this, we're like, oh, the rich are the bad guys. Jesus doesn't say that at all. <laughs> he just says that there was those who had money and were successful in the world's eyes. They were at the temple giving their gifts and offerings, which is a good thing. His, this is not a commentary on whether those people's character were good or bad. It's just that's what they were doing. He says in verse two, he says, and then he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. And again, this doesn't cast the rich in a negative light. It just says that this woman had a greater sacrifice in what she chose to give. And this is confirmed with what Jesus says to kind of round out this, this, this illustration. He says, 
For they all contributed out of their abundance. Again, nothing wrong with contributing out of abundance. That's okay. He says, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. It's interesting how specific Jesus is about that. He says this woman out of her poverty didn't give so much that she was struggling But he says she gave all that she had to live on. Like she doesn't have anything else. This is it. She doesn't have anything more to live on. I mean, this feels like a pretty extreme moment in giving. And and I think what's interesting is, is I think sometimes we might miss a little bit of the therefore in this passage. Be- because if, if, if his disciples are standing there watching and Jesus says, this woman, she just gave everything she had to live on, hopefully it would spark the disciples to say, well, okay, how can we help her? Which is funny because how can we help her is a silly question. She just gave all that she had to live on. I don't know if we have to ask the question, how can I help? Anything you do is helpful at that point, right? (laughs) It doesn't matter what you do. Anything you do is helpful. So it's not an issue of I got to figure out what I can do to be helpful. Pretty much anything. And so I think part of this is that Jesus is challenging his disciples to have a kingdom economic perspective rather than a a, a worldly view of how things work together. Because you see, in the Roman economic system, this woman was in a lot of trouble. She didn't get welfare. She wasn't provided for by anyone else. And so what I think Jesus is saying here is, is that this widow is fully dependent on God and his economy. So what's God's economy? God's economic system is the body of Christ. God's economic system is the body of Christ. No matter what system you live in, you are God's economic system. The body of Christ is there to help one another. And it's not just to help one another. In helping one another, we, we, in, in, in giving to one another, we become more intimate with Jesus if we do it in the right, with the right heart. So one of the questions, I think, and, and, and you can maybe interpret whether or not you're living in God's economy or the world's economy, is do we look at one another so that we can fill gaps in each other's lives? Do we look at each other and say, man, I, I see that there's a gap in your life and you know what? I want to I want to meet that. I want to fill that gap. I want to meet that need. When when did I last hear about somebody else who's run into something difficult and act on it? Again, we're so stuck in the system that we live in because we've got health care and health insurance and all those things and and, and somebody runs into a, a significant medical bill do we, when we hear about that in the body of Christ, do we, do we hear about that and say, hey, I wonder if I can help them pay for their medical expenses? It's interesting, 
lately, GoFundMe has become big in helping people cover tragedy and things that happen in their life. In God's economy, GoFundMe doesn't exist. Because God calls the body to be looking and saying, hey, how can I help? And it's not just to help people, it's how can I grow more intimate with Jesus? That's the point. Now, I'm super encouraged because here at Crosspoint and for a long time at this church, there's been what we call a deacon's fund. And many of you give to the deacon's fund and that money is there to help people within our church body and even within the community with needs. We just got a a letter this week of a person who came to this church and has been overwhelmed with how this church has responded to our needs. That's awesome. But here's the thing, that that in God's economy, not only can we do that, but also when we're out and about, we don't have to send someone to the church to get their needs met. Because oftentimes the Holy Spirit will say, I want you to meet that need right now. And again, remember what I said at the beginning, that because giving is primarily a practice of intimacy with Jesus, we have to listen to the Holy Spirit. And so it's not every person who has a need you give to, It's when you encounter a need, you seek the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, the Holy Spirit answers before you even seek him. (laughs) He can be very clear. And sometimes, you have to spend some time praying and seeking the Holy Spirit. And and here's here's what, what giving develops and how it how, the the way here's the intimacy that that the giving develops first of all it establishes humility before god giving establishes humility before god second thing is that giving acts in worship of god giving again secondarily the good that giving does is secondary to our intimacy with god So giving is worship of God. And then thirdly, giving expresses our trust in God. Think about the woman Jesus highlighted in in Luke. That woman grew in humility. I mean, it took humility for her to give everything she had to live on. That woman in, in the text in, in, in Luke 21, she was worshiping God in that moment. As much as anyone can possibly worship God, she was worshiping God. And, and then finally, she was placing her trust in God because she had nothing else. God has to come through. Because as Jesus said, she gave everything she had to live on. I, I would argue that that woman that Jesus talks about in the temple that day probably had a depth of of relationship and intimacy with God that would make anyone jealous. Because giving is a pathway toward intimacy with Jesus. It's interesting that 
that we've been reading, again, we've been asked to read the Beatitudes each day. How, how much of, of the Beatitudes, the character that God calls us to have, is reflective of, of what giving does? Poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, the peacemaker. We grow in humility before God, worship of God, and trust in God as we grow in our character to what Jesus calls us to be in the Beatitudes. And so there's some particularly biblical ways that we can participate intimately with God through giving. And I'd say there's probably four primary categories. Could be other things, but I think these are pretty broad. First way that we give, that God gives us an opportunity to give, is through proclamation of the gospel, both local and global discipleship. That looks like me giving to those people or organizations that are in places that I can never get to and are making disciples in those places. And in giving to those things, I can become more intimate with Jesus and have an effect on the proclamation of the gospel. In, in, in recent times, I've been so amazed at what God has done in me and in my relationship with him as I have more intentionally given to people and organizations that are in places where I can't imagine the gospel taking root, but it is in phenomenal ways. And I'm finding that first and foremost, I am, I am knowing Jesus better and more intimately. And secondly, I am more connected to the global family of God in this world. And there's some good that's coming of the giving that I'm doing. But my reward is a deeper intimacy with Jesus. A second way that, that we give toward intimacy is alleviation of human suffering and evil. Alleviation of human suffering and evil. There's a big argument right now about social justice. I don't really care about the argument. What I do know is that God has set us here and in his economy we give toward the global proclamation of the gospel and we also, he also asks us to give to alleviate human suffering and evil, period. The good Samaritan, the Samaritan, an enemy of the Jews, saw a Jewish man who was robbed and beaten and he picked him up and he gave, paid for everything and cared for him. And and I believe that in Jesus telling that parable, I believe that again, that Samaritan had an intimacy with God that the Jews wouldn't think a Samaritan could have. And I believe that intimacy came through his generosity and his giving. Third way is through provision for the body of Christ. Provision for the body of Christ. I just want to read to you Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It says, And they, the church in Jerusalem, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. 
And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking breads in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Just so you know, this is not socialism. This is not capitalism. This is God's economy. It is a group of people not pressed by a government nor people being good in and of themselves. It is a group of people saying, God owns all of this and we will make sure that the body of Christ is cared for. I think if anything, the people who participated in the early church in this moment would be embarrassed of capitalism and socialism. (laughs) That's just my opinion. That's not biblical. (laughs) But but really what what God says is, is one of the ways that we give is to one another to meet each other's needs. Finally, we give as a testimony for the lost and the far off. It was a testimony for the lost and the far off. It's interesting. It seems to be oftentimes the marching orders for Christians today living in a very dark time, lots of evil, lots of distortion of truth, lots of lies being bought into. And one of the main things is, well, stand up against that. Sure. But it seems like often in the Bible, the tools that God uses against evil and lies and deceptions are generosity and hospitality. So if you're standing against the world encroaching in on you and you're not standing against it with generosity and hospitality, then I don't know that you're doing it in the way of Jesus. And I know this because the Bible tells me very clearly that while I was an enemy of God, he gave to me. While I was an enemy of God, while you were an enemy of God, God gave his son. Generosity and hospitality. I mean, ultimate generosity and hospitality. The world will know Jesus is who he said he is when they see our generosity in the light of abuse and persecution. And so really, as I close this morning, there is such an incredible opportunity that we have in giving. We have the opportunity to become closer to Jesus in giving. And if our perspective of giving is that, you know, I'm being obedient because I need to be, and that's what God says, so I'm gonna be obedient and give, you're missing the reward of giving because the reward of giving is intimacy with Christ. Yeah, obey, but remember that that the reward is not you getting something, but you getting Jesus. Exactly what we sang about. And I think it's interesting because we as, as 
Christians can be really good about saying, okay, I've got an intentional plan to read my Bible. I've got an intentional plan to have a quiet time with God. I have an intentional plan uh, of making sure that I am uh, reading scripture and spending some time in prayer. Well, how, how many of us have an intentional practice of giving so that we become intimate with Jesus? Because hopefully our prayer time and Bible reading time isn't just to check off a box. Hopefully it's so that we become more intimate with Jesus, that we know him better. How many of us give and have a plan to give so that we grow closer to Jesus. Because if giving is just a box that you check off, you're missing the reward that your father in secret sees you and wants to give you, the gift of himself. And so what is your intentional practice of giving both when we gather and when we scatter? How will you pursue intimacy with Jesus through giving? And again, I can't give you that plan. No one else can give you your plan Because giving is a spiritual practice of intimacy with Jesus, so you need to seek the Holy Spirit. And what I, what his answer will not be is be stingy. (laughs) I can just guarantee you that. The Holy Spirit is saying be stingy and don't look for opportunities. Probably not the Holy Spirit. You got a wrong number. (laughs) But I can't give you your plan. You see, the more I practice giving this way, the less money grips my heart and my treasure base expands. Through the spiritual practice of giving, I can become more intimately connected with God's heart. That's why Jesus died. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning and I thank you so much for your love and God, how clear you are about how we can know you in a deeper and more profound way. God, I pray that, that, that those of us who have faithfully and obediently given, but not with the design of intimacy with you, God, that you would bring that joy of intimacy into our lives and our hearts so that we can receive that reward from you of relationship. God, I pray for those of us this morning who, who don't, maybe don't give or see, see money or giving in a way that, that the world has taught them to view it. And maybe those things have seeped into their faithfulness and their understanding of scripture. I pray that God, you would open their eyes and help them to see this as you see it. And that this d- d- distortion of the world is there to separate us from you. And that through correcting our view and seeing giving as a pathway toward intimacy can draw us deeper into your presence. So Father, most of all, I pray that each person who has been here this morning would would be able to hear your heart. And I pray that if, if anything I said is contrary to your word or the truth, that those things would be dismissed. But God, the things that came out of my mouth this morning that may have been hard to hear would be confirmed by the Holy Spirit and acted upon. God, we love you and we thank you for being unreasonably generous with us so that we can unreasonably be generous with others. 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. 